Hey guys, it's Joel with the Taproot Therapy Collective Podcast. That music that was leading it in is a new album by Caliphone that I'm really liking a whole lot. Um, we had in- interviewed uh, Tim Rutilli um, from Caliphone uh, last year. That was the album he was working on at that time, I'm guessing. So if you like the music, check it out. And uh, also hop back and listen to the interview of Tim Rutilli um, from Caliphone. He's a nice guy, and I think he makes very interesting weird music. I like to um, pick something that is relevant to the discussion with the guest, and the discussion with the desk guest today, I think that uh, song and the outro are probably as relevant as I was going to find um, in, the, in the world of music. So our interview today is with Molly Adler. Molly has a podcast called Back from the Borderline, and she has another podcast that is about kind of esoteric anthropolo- anthropology philosophy um, that's to help you go to sleep, um, and if you don't go to sleep, learn something interesting. That one's called Night Night Bitch. Um, you can find both of those wherever you get your podcast and follow her on Instagram. She's into depth psychology. She's into Western esotericism, and she's a really interesting person who I think holds the tension of the mystical and the logical in a way that some people are not able to out there, um, or they get pulled too far into one realm. Um, I do want to give you a trigger warning. There are some pretty frank discussions about physical trauma, medical trauma, um, sexual assault, and um, her history uh, with the unfortunate realities of wealth and power um, that run our world. So if that's something that makes you uncomfortable or you got kids around, it may not be the best podcast. Um, but I'll go ahead and roll that. And I was really glad that she's coming on and hopefully um, something that uh, you might like her show also. So uh, we will run that now. So I'm here with the great, great granddaughter of Alfred Adler. Um, and not, <laughs> no, no, not really. Not really. I'm sorry. Let's, let's not make anybody start doing some frantic Googling. No, um, <laughs> I always see like a joke cold open and I was That's going really to. Like, I, I wish. Had, well, I, I had planned for yours to be like, you know, like, have we ever met before? Is this your card? And then have a tarot card that was like the universe or something. But the well, set that I have. Great. Are, um, I brought them down to do it, but the set that I have are like the clamped um, ones, and there's like boobs on all of them. So, which is like, you know, oh that's my god, fine. I never knew that she but, did a deck. Yeah, it's. I think it's just in the style of. It's not oh, actually okay. like. Um, it's something my wife had, but I didn't oh, want to be beautiful. like. Oh, just a card, and then like that seemed. That's well. actually really good. Yeah. I like both of them. I love. Yeah. I would love to be the great great granddaughter of Alfred Ad- Alfred Adler. I would. Yeah. Love well, I don't know. You've never done a twenty three. I mean, maybe. Maybe somewhere back there. Who yeah. knows? Yeah, I'll have to email know. his family. Can I get a sample, please? I'm seeing a lot of like small towns in Alabama with that those cause these like huge ripples in because you only they only know it. They show you, you know, in a small town, it's pretty identifiable, right? Yeah. So, like I've had people have told me about, you know, like they know someone else knows this family secret because 
that other person it's like oh we know their results so you know that they have your result too i know it's and true like it's if like, somebody close to you does it you are you can already kind of like you know that you're screwed because it's already out there you know what I mean? there's like you know like some like the pastor you know in the 50s got around and some people are secretly siblings and oh, then they're shit. married like there's like all kinds of crazy things that i've heard that's yeah epic. that's a reality <laughs> show waiting to happen well no one wants to talk about it you know especially not <laughs> <laughs> they're still going to the same church or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Molly has a podcast that I love. I don't know how you do the amount of research that you do to create the amount of content. Um, and I really love too. I mean, there's a ton of people who are very bright and I mean, well, not a ton. There, there are a lot of people that are very smart and are very introspective and have done a ton of research that have really good shows. Um, mm -hmm. And there's a lot of people that have gone to therapy and gotten better, but like you're incredibly candid about your life in a way that like you're not ashamed of anything and you shouldn't be and like the realities of trauma and i like i that speaks so much to me because everybody mm -hmm. who comes in with these things like to therapy feels alone with them and a lot of times the therapist has a business so they're even if they've gone through recovery they may say a little bit but they're yeah. afraid you know until they're far into their career of saying like a lot of different things yeah. And you just are so honest and your show and perspective evolves and I don't know, so needed. I love it. I don't, I don't know how you're able to, you must just like read constantly. Um, yeah. Uh, my husband laughs at me because I mean, I'm not diagnosed because obviously you know how I feel about diagnoses. Yeah. Um, but my husband calls me the autist, like we used to call it the <laughs> artist, but also the artist. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, I probably would get an autism diagnosis if I like sought it out. I'm for sure on the spectrum. Um, and if you knew my family, like so many members of my family are, are also on the spectrum for sure if they went. But I take it as a superpower because yeah. I do, I I read constantly to the point where I sometimes have to take a break, like because anybody who is kind of like a, you're probably the same, like where you're constantly reading things and sometimes mm. I have to go, whoa, sometimes I need to take a total detox. I'm actually in the middle of that now where I'm doing kind of a intellectual detox where I'm just kind of, okay, I think I need to integrate some of the things that I've been reading and you can get overloaded and then you also hit a point in your reading where you go it's all kind of the same thing said in different yes, ways yes <laughs> yes and you but you need to get to that point you, you need to read enough as a psychology student talking, to, to realize to your insecurity goes away because you're reading the same thing again Precisely. and then you see the scope of history and the profession of the yeah. career and you see the undercurrents of what these people are really fighting about that's right and 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 the therapists don't get that. I mean, I it's like you'll see therapists like go off on LinkedIn about how like Jung is not evidence based or something, and it's like, oh well, God. yeah, just because you can't turn it empirical doesn't mean it's not evidence based, and just because you turn it empirical doesn't mean that it is evidence based. You know, I've got a lot you of look articles at all the empirical research. studies based upon crap that's just fun. Then they topic. share like this parts based <laughs> thing that they're training in, and you're like, Schwartz put Gestalt therapy together with Jung. Like IFS is a Nerdy. way to train an institution how to do Jungian and Gestalt therapy. Like that's yeah. what he did yeah and but there's no that no awareness of that like no there's not and what's really interesting is i just did an interview with um someone named christian bradley west he calls himself the country clairvoyant on instagram mm. and he has an amazing background but again he's not a practitioner he's just a lifelong student of these things he started uh studying um science and nutrition and then he moved on to his own spiritual journey but he was just talking about how you know when he was studying into shamanism and all of these things mm -hmm. so much of jung's work 
is in there. And some people have an issue with Jung because mm -hmm. he supposedly stole his ideas. But I just don't agree with that. I think that when you start you having, with that. You know, I, he, I mean, I'm sure thought he was, was tapping into a perennial philosophy too. That's that's it. What I mean is like, is even if you were a little blob person out in the desert and you didn't have anything to draw upon, if you started having mystical mm -hmm. experiences, you might start saying some of the same things that a lot of these mystics have been saying. Does that mean that you've stolen your mm -hmm. ideas? No. Why can't? Why do we think of everything as stolen? And why can't we think of, whoa, look at all these connecting threads. They must yeah. be there for a reason. And you can't measure this by mm -hmm. Cartesian thought, you know, you you can't nail it down and and prove it. We have a really hard time not knowing. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's one of the things that um, I co like complain about to the therapist that I'm friends with is that like when you when academia is as hostile as it is to these new models, because I don't yeah. like if you want to say, OK, well, I only do evidence based practice, whatever. OK, why aren't you trained in like EFT or these things that outrank CBT? It's just like they, yeah. they use it as an excuse to not read research, you know, but like research is just used as a cuddle to keep new things out. It's not ever used to promote new models. And so, like, I, I don't really have a ton of and that's not I'm not critiquing research as a concept. I'm critiquing For academia sure. as it exists right now and the that's kind of right. insecurity that's in academia right now. Um, but like when when people so I it makes it very hard to tell if these new ground making, especially in brain based medicine, where the stuff is essentially like it's not intuitive, you know, something like brain spotting. I thought was crazy yeah. until I did it. Something like ETT I thought was crazy until I did it. I'm at the training and I'm still like there's so many cranky chroma therapies in the seventies. Like they wore, wore yeah. red glasses and said it would make your trauma go away or whatever. Like, and, and this guy, it's got this machine and it does this thing and it works. And, and I believe I, you know, I believe the people who told me it works. So I was there, but um, you know, this stuff's not intuitive. So like, until you do it, you don't know. Yeah. And, and you kind of have to be open for something to get through. Right. So yeah. it's almost like if somebody who's have to totally know, closed know. off, tries it, and nothing happens they're like see it doesn't work and it's like mm -hmm. uh is that true or is it the fact it's like people that are open to hypnosis are more easily hypnotized yeah. and if you're completely shut down um i don't know if that's a great comparison but you do have to have a certain amount of openness to your personality mm -hmm. and i think people that are drawn to academia I'm not sure how much like openness and curiosity that they have sometimes because they they want things to be proven. There's this rigidity that mm. almost makes it hard. And then also that you'll get a kick out of this. It's kind of a bit of a rabbit hole, but I think it's the perfect this is the perfect place to bring it up. I've actually never even talked about it on my podcast, but I had a listener who is just she's been listening to me since day one. She's amazing and she's going to school at a large school in California that will remain nameless. And um, she is now like going down. She just got into a master's program for art therapy. She asked me to write her a letter of recommendation for like her master's program. Yeah, and I was going so like, and but as somebody who I don't have those credentials, like it's, but I did, I wrote her a really heartfelt recommendation letter. And um, my podcast has made a big impact on her life, according to her. And her school was, she was putting on this, this thing where they were bringing people in to talk about new perspectives on mental health. And in order to be accepted as a speaker, a plenary speaker, I had to interview with her supervisor. And this guy was so stuffy. And he sat down, I got on a Zoom call and um, my listener 
Jenna, I know she wouldn't mind if I talk about her because she's just the best. And she told me, um, she's like, let tell 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 yourself to like talk about yourself to this guy. Mm -hmm. And I just was very open about my experience. And he kind of like was asking like what my credentials were. And I was like, uh, school of hard knocks. Like, I don't know, like <laughs> lots of reading, probably more than you've ever done, bro. But I well, again, I didn't say that. I was very graceful because I just sensed his like skepticism right off the jump. Yeah. He like barely didn't even want, he didn't even want to give me a chance. Yeah. And, um, and he'd never listened to my podcast really. And so, and, and everything he brought up though, I, I just started talking about the biomedical model and my skepticism against it. And you could see him just like his butt clenching under his, <laughs> like, he was just upset and triggered. And really trying to keep it you know together and he was every question he was trying to like kind of like catch me out but everything mm -hmm. he said to me i had a response for because i've read this stuff you know and i dropped out of my lmft program for a yeah. reason i was just like something in me knew that i didn't want to do this but long story short two weeks later jenna emails me and says you know, he just thinks that it's not appropriate for you to do uh, this thing because you don't have any credentials. And I just was like, and she was so annoyed and she was mm. like, so sorry. I'm like, don't worry about it. But ironically, now it's been, that was about a year and a half ago and the podcast has grown even so much since then. But I get written to by so many therapists, psychiatrists that are practicing in the NHS in the UK. Yeah. And they are saying, thank you so much for your podcast you say things that I actually can't even say. Yeah, the people with the license cannot say what you say. I, I, mean, so I have say, to be very I careful. Say, hey, you should listen to Back From the Borderline. <laughs> I think you'd really like this. And so me not getting my degree and not getting my credentials, I have a bachelor's degree, of course, but mm -hmm. me not pursuing higher education has actually allowed me to have more success because mm -hmm. I can say all of the things I want to say. And let me just say, I am not the type of girl that would have probably done well in higher education because I don't take orders very well. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that was like, I was leaving the hospital when, I mean, one that I kept hearing like, well, you can reduce symptoms by talking to people, but we can give medicine. So stop doing that. And it was like, well, but when you don't have erectile dysfunction, you don't go off your medication and then you don't burn a building down. So like me talking is, you know, cause I, I was always like, you know, guys, don't you think that, cause we were, we were on a sort of community treatment team. So we were treating the worst, the worst cases of psychotic mental illness in the state. And it was a lot mm -hmm. of schizophrenia that was incredibly treatment resistant, comorbid with something else like addiction and, you know, other things. Um, but like the, I, I don't know, like that, that whole thing, like I was always like, don't you think schizophrenia is like actually two diseases? Cause there's like the people who have the more genetic presentation, they are having like the positive symptoms and the people who have the more negative like symptoms. Those are the ones that like had a traumatic onset of the illness. So you could have 20% mm -hmm. of the genes and 80% of the trauma or 80% of the trauma because these patients look like they have PTSD and they always have like an, an uh, origin myth for why they have the illness. Like, you know, he raped me and put me in a closet and then a ghost got to my body. And so the ghost still talks to me right. or I was in the hospital and there's, they switched my blood with the other blood. And then now the blood, you know, whatever, but it was like, and they were like, you know, shut up. The DSM says it's schizophrenia. Like, I don't, there's just no curiosity, you know, no. and people that want to use the degree as being like, hey, look, this means that I'm smart. And it's like, no, I, I decide if on a case by case basis, if I take you seriously and if your ideas are good. And and also whether or not you're able to actually break through with some of these really difficult cases. You know what I mean? Your credentials mm -hmm. don't actually mean anything. And just like, well, they do, but they don't mean anything if you can't actually get down into the mud with people, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, and I just couldn't like. 
I don't know. I mean, I when it, you said something that reminded me of this. I hadn't thought about this in years, but like right before I left and I went into private practice, mm-hmm. um, I had a, a pride to work at the student counseling center. And um, they asked me, like, what is one of the most difficult cases you've ever done or something? And I was like, mm. you know, and I was like, yeah, you know, this lady and has this lamp and her husband, like, cut the tendons out of her feet with scissors and blah, blah, blah. And like what? people were like, like doing this, like they wanted me to stop. And it's like, y'all asked me the question. <laughs> Like, Wait, it then, was too much for them? Yeah, and then, so then, like, anyway, they, wow. they declined to hire me, and I... Would, they were like, I, no, I no, really we meant like just somebody who was chronically yeah, suicidal. Yeah, no, we okay. mean the worst breakup anyone ever had with their boyfriend. Yeah. I mean, it's college counseling, so I was like... So I, I called later just to be professional, and was like, hey, you know, I, I didn't realize I didn't get the job, and I want to be the best candidate I have, so if you have any feedback for me, I'd love to do that. And the lady was like, you know, we think that you knew a lot more about therapy than a lot of people that we interview um and higher but we just think that somebody who's done like kind of a dirty job like what you do couldn't really do the advanced work that we do and i was just like Wait, biting sorry, my tongue wanting what? to be like just because you can't do what i do does not mean that i can't do what you do what you do is easier than me that's why i'm trying to get out like <laughs> so I, I, mean, I say that for anybody who's early in their career and is looking with someone with more letters behind their name and, and feeling gaslit like don't don't feel gaslit it's not it's not real Oh, I just have so much to say about that. It's just, it really brings up a lot because I just interviewed um, Bruce Levine and he was talking about how sometimes like hairstylists can be better therapists than therapists. So much trauma in cosmetology, man. Yeah. Because it's caregiving. It's like, it's it's like the same personality type as like social work, nurse, teacher. One of my Um, best friends is a hairstylist and she just, and she's also a very naturally empathetic person. Like she's the kind of person that you could talk to her for two minutes and you're just telling her your life story no matter what. Cause she just, I mean, that's how I became friends with her is when I was in LA and very lonely. I make friends with my hairstylist wherever I go. And I think there's a reason for that because they're used to people kind of trauma dumping on them. Mm-hmm. And I was and going holding it shamanically yeah. holding and, yeah. it. You got to still cut the hair, you know, and like she struggled. She had to take breaks. And I think a lot of hairstylists get burnt out and they don't realize why they're actually getting burnt out. And it's, yeah, you're on your feet all the time and your back hurts. And I mean, doing hair yeah. is a hard job. I, I am a beauty school dropout. My dad mm-hmm. sings the grease song to me sometimes. Um, I've done like a little bit of everything in my life, but the thing that's the hardest, at least from my friend's perspective is that is like people are unloading onto you all day long and you're kind of in just the listening mode because, Mm -hmm. and that's a lot, you know? And so that's why I do have a lot of compassion for therapists right now too. Cause like, let me tell you, I get anonymous emails from therapists a lot and they are not okay. They're not okay out here, uh, but one of my really good friends just- It's kind of uh, like teachers though, like people still think you're oh, the yeah. man. You know, you're yeah. like, I'm making compromises that let me see more people. Like I, I would, I would, I could easily make more if I dumped insurance. Right now we're in a place where it's helping more people than it's hurting. Yeah. We're kind of moving past that probably five, six years from now, insurance will be not that, you know, I hope that doesn't happen, but you know, yeah. there is a trajectory. But like, I'm, I'm really making hard compromises to be effective to be the most effective that I can be. And people will just be like, well, you use the word patient and that's hierarchical medicine and you're canceled, blah, blah, blah. And it's like the number one search to my site is therapist accepting new patients. You know, there's an SEO. If I can't fill up the people who are working with me, then like, I don't know. It's you're at the mercy of SEO and like all these things. And that's one of the things that I have so much compassion for therapists because 
they're not the enemy. You know, mm-hmm. these, this is a, can I curse on this podcast? Oh, please. Yeah. So, I, part of the I'm, joke for me is that it's like the little corporate logo and it's like therapy podcast. And, you know, you uh, think it's going to be like the 10 tips for spring. And then it's uh, like <laughs> me wilding. Thankfulness. Yeah. No, but like your guys are working in a really fucked up system. Right. Oh, and, yeah. like, and you have to figure out it's like how rebellious can you be? I would imagine like how can you be really rebellious and fight against the system while Indeed. you still have. Yeah. While you still have to work within it. And that is just something I have so much compassion for because mm-hmm. a, a therapist just emailed me the other day and she said, um, you know, I was diagnosed with BPD when I was like, I think she was like 20 or something, 1920. Mm-hmm. And now she's a therapist and that, that part of her life is behind her mm-hmm. or she doesn't have a fucking disordered personality. Cause that's just nonsense. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's like, I hear such horrible things you know the the classic tropes being said about oh the borderlines you know Mm -hmm. and she's like having to like listen to that and not scream at these people like my peers Mm -hmm. when i know that i have that diagnosis but a i can't even defend because i can't say out say out loud i have that diagnosis and i'm just going that's so wrong you know like it's wrong the thing is like you i mean i I don't want to tell you about the history of that disorder because you have a whole (laughs) podcast on it but like (laughs) even based on the assumptions that they put into place that I don't agree with, they are still not using that diagnosis consistently with the assumptions that they made to create it. I, know. I mean, if you are a woman and you try to kill yourself and you go to the ER, oh, you're going to you get, get that diagnosis. Level. Yep. They have no knowledge of what's going on. Is that a normal response to your environment? Yep. Like, I mean, it's always like, what's wrong with you, not what happened to you. We get wildly different, you know, clientele at Taproot than I did when I was at a bigger firm, even though we're just a couple minutes down the street because we have totally different, we just attract a whole different kind of person. But like when I was at this other firm, I would get these referrals from psychiatrists that were like, this person's on a horse dose of sedatives. I can't sedate her anymore. And she has anxiety. Can you please do CBT now? And then I, which I don't love CBT, but the person would come in. Well, what goes on at home? My husband beats me. Okay, well, I'm not going to do Zen meditation with you because we need to talk about why you yeah, won't get out let's of there. Yeah, let's get her really adjusted can. to her abusive like, environment. You're well. I mean, I don't think the doctor knew and was enabling the husband, but the fact that they didn't know didn't and the know, medicine yeah. had been raised this amount of times—I mean, that's a problem. And I mean, probably that guy's overworked and at the mercy of another doctor okay. and another board. Like, I'm not saying that there's one villain when you start to no. make that kind of systemic system. diagnosis. Yeah, it's the system system and it's the incentives. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. they're incentivized on getting as many people in and out the door as possible. They're incentivized on like numbing and suppressing quote unquote symptoms. They're what the the incentives of everything is what's wrong. It's the same reason why I wanted to get the hell out of working in tech. Like I just resigned from my tech job six months ago and God, uh, it was, you know, 10 years of working in different uh, positions within uh, software companies and I just was so infuriated by all the lying, you know, like it was just like every, every meeting, it's basically how can I make my numbers look as good as possible? Even if we have really low daily. Yeah. Oh, you just did two two jobs at once. Yeah. We're not going to give you a raise. We're going to realize that we don't need to hire somebody to do this other job now. Exactly. Even if the app sucks, even if everything, it's just like everyone's hiding again, 
the root cause, right? I'm yeah. going like, I can't renew these customers, not because I'm not good at my job. It's because the app fucking sucks and the yeah. app doesn't have good use. But mm -hmm. then I have to lie to my, my team and say, okay, let's see how we can make these numbers go up mm -hmm. just a little bit. So it's just like everyone's treading water. And I feel like it's the same way in mental health. It's the same mm -hmm. way in academia. And it's the exact same reason why our government fucking sucks too. Yeah. So well, I mean, you, you, it's like when people really need to believe that this guy or that guy is the solution to the other guy. And you're like, if you're excited about either of these choices, you really just don't have the courage to look down. Okay. That's right. Like, that's right. You're, you're running two different kinds of a dementia against each other. And we don't have any good options. Yeah. I'm going to get, get a little political, but it's like, <laughs> it's just like for me, my dream candidate is like Marianne Williamson. You know what I mean? Cause I'm like, mm -hmm. at least here's someone who's, and don't come for me, people. Like, I'm not, that's one thing I don't have a ton of expertise in in terms of like, mm -hmm. I'm not going to be able to sit here and talk about her policy. But what I love mm -hmm. about someone like her is that she's deeply spiritual. And she's yeah. someone who actually thinks about things from a really like high level perspective. And I just feel, and also she calls out these shitty incentives, you know, yeah. like, and that's what, and I'm not saying that she's the right person for, for presidency, but I really love what she runs on, you know, like I wish I, she did ASMR. Like oh, I would listen to her read the phone same. book. It's like, oh, same. Um, yeah. but she, when I listen to that, I'm going like, yeah, we need a little bit more of that energy in our government. Whether she's the right person for the presidency or not, that's what I wish. Is like, I wish we had people that were actually thinking about virtues and thinking about the long term and thinking about getting wisdom from the past, but also going to the future. And it's just we have such faulty incentives. Um, well, the short term the is the thing, up. you know, it's yeah. like, can you fudge this thing on this, whatever for this app? Well, the app doesn't work, you know, That's it's right. like, even after like, and, and everything bandaid on shit. Yeah. I mean, it's and and our system is designed that way. Like, it's like, you know, you used to be able to take your phone to the AT&T store when it doesn't work. Now, when your yeah. phone doesn't work, they're like, I really don't know how to work a phone here. All we do is sell them. You have to call this number. And it's like the company just took away your ability to get the help. It didn't fix the problem. Yes. All of our short-term thinking, which I mean, really kind of starts in the 1980s. And a lot of what I write about is if you follow it to its root, going to be political, because what it's saying is that when you say that the point of health, when, when you corporatize academia and when you corporatize healthcare, you get a cognitive and a behavioral psychology. You're telling yep. people that all they are, are their thoughts and their behavior. And that's following right. <laughs> out of the profession to turn it to a number because that's why CBT is popular. I mean, by the way, too, you know, I, I, I swear to God, I've been saying this way before AI and my phone is going off and need to turn that off. <laughs> um, sorry. Like oh, no, way before there was like AI or anything years ago, you know, people were like giving, I was saying like, if you're saying that there is a manualizable form of therapy, that if yeah. the patient says this, oh, that's a cognitive distortion, snap the rubber band, tell the anxiety to stop, whatever. One, you're gonna be replaced. You're, you're, if you're saying that we should function like computers, you are paving the way for your job to be replaced by one. I mean, I turned down a job offer at a pretty big med, med tech company to program these computers for this module they were building. Oh God. To do CBT on, on people so that they could fire the therapist in the hospital. It was like, you know, if you needed help getting your baby to breastfeed or something, you hit this button and then you don't have to have it, somebody come in. It just- No shame, but if we're it. gonna do these yeah. shitty CBT forms of therapy, an AI might do it better than some of these burnt out, I don't give a fuck therapists. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, no yeah. shade, but shade, but it's true. Like, yeah. because yeah. people, honestly, somebody who is, one of the therapists that I saw, like, uh, again, 
it's not her fault because again, mm. she was probably burnt out, whatever, but came to this therapy session and just was like so low energy, so um, just not there, like not present mm -hmm. with me that I, I just felt like, what the hell am I even paying for? You know? And I am a huge fan of chat GPT. I use it mm -hmm. all the time. I, it's incredible for me, but I also, I always, I talked a lot about uh, this with Lawrence Hellman on our episode, because he's also a huge fan of AI. And we were just talking about how, you know, AI is only as good as the person who's using it. Like mm -hmm. you, you really, I don't know how much you've messed around with it, but it's incredible. If I just used an AI to write my podcast episodes, they would suck. But what yeah. I use AI for is to help me organize my thoughts and it helps. It feels like, you know, it collates information really well. The best like, metaphor I have for it is like, if you imagine like a superhero movie where the superhero gets his arm chopped off and it's replaced with like a super arm, mm -hmm. like a super gold arm. Like that's how I feel ChatGPT makes me. It gives me like a super gold arm. Like I'm mm -hmm. already great. Like I have to be a good superhero, but it makes me be able to like smash through things. Like, and that's how I use ChatGPT. And so I think it's amazing. And I actually think that if these models are trained by people like you, for mm -hmm. example, like I would much rather use an AI for therapy trained by you mm -hmm. than get therapy from the woman I saw. Mm -hmm. And I don't yeah. think people are talking about that enough. They're just going, well, oh no, a computer can't give me therapy. And I'm going, no, no, no. We're thinking about this wrong. Well, there's this push to turn therapy, well, turn everything into gig work, but therapy too. Yeah. I mean, that's what I had that article about BetterHelp that went um, it did numbers, uh, but I really just write the articles to help SEO for our clinic because you can pay for all this garbage content that's listicles, or you can write something that people actually reshare. And, yes. Um, the but the I mean, what BetterHelp did, you know, this, you know, and that's like disregarding like all of the the people who said like, you know, my BetterHelp therapist walked through a conference room with me on video chat, and people oh saw me, or my BetterHelp therapist like walked into the office. And got made popcorn, you know, during their session or something. Like, but I mean, what they so did, I would lose my license. I might yeah. lose my company. Like, I would, we wouldn't exist if an individual did that. They took the data of those people and they sold it to Facebook. Disgusting. So that Facebook could take their medical problems and target ads at them saying, Oh, did your mom just die? This crystal helps with that. And they got fined less money than they made selling the data. Disgusting. You know, I turned down like a really big sponsorship opportunity from BetterHelp. Did you know that? No, I didn't. But I was oh. going to ask you because that's oh, my, I turned them uh, down. I when told, you have this mental health awareness podcast and people I told say my that, husband, and then you hear the ad from BetterHelp rolling, and you're like, not doing it. I told my husband like I was like when I first started because I just now have sponsors, and my first mm, sponsor congrats. was Young Platform. So like, yeah, our, yeah, which is like the best sponsor for me. It's the yeah. perfect sponsor. Am I getting like huge? massive payouts from them no but it's a long-term relationship that i can yeah. feel good about another one is like a cbd company that is um that one of my listeners works at that is mm -hmm. amazing they've worked with the crossfit games they're great and so it's like i can go to sleep at night knowing that i feel good about the sponsors that i work with and i told my husband before i had any of these sponsors i was like guaranteed the first fucking offer i'm gonna get is from stupid ass better help i guarantee i already know it and sure enough and I took the opportunity to, to write, it was through a third party mm -hmm. and I wrote back um, this long ass thing, which is the <laughs> only tweet of mine that's ever done numbers. And I wrote this long response mm. back of why I was turning them down. And I went back, I went into detail about like their horrifying use yeah. of customer data. And 
the lady responded. She's like, thanks for the information. I passed it on to the brand. Not that they care, but I posted my response on Twitter and the amount of therapists that replied to me and said, thank you so much. Yeah. Because every time I'm listening to a podcast and then that's supposed to be helping people with their mm -hmm. mental health and everyone in We're their, just their politically dog engaged is doing better and health and wants to pretend like they get it and they're, you yeah. know, damn the man. And then they roll down for better help. I mean, one of this this person again, who shall remain remain nameless, is this girl that I follow. I followed on Instagram, and she uh, positions herself as like also a doctor, which makes me laugh because like it's so misleading when you have like just like a doctor in psychology and you say I'm a doctor. I'm just kind of like like she wears she wears like a white coat in some of her videos, and I'm no. going like, bro, are you okay? And she, I was watching just some random YouTube video last night. Are you night dressed like a veterinarian? Exactly. Yeah, like, That's exactly yeah. right. And against my will, I saw a video, an ad pop up and it's sure as shit. It's her saying, are you feeling sad? Come to better help. And I'm like, oh my God. People just, do they even look, people just want to check. I mean, it doesn't even matter at the end of the day. They're And this same person, by the way, she fights against the stigma of labels. She does all mm -hmm. this stuff, but in the same breath, you're going to mm -hmm. advertise for a company like this. Well, here's what drives me nuts is like the boards in theory are a good thing. And then the way that they're used, it's only used to like hurt the poorest person or the person that has like no control over the system. Like they're never used to actually try and regulate whatever. So like the LPC licensure is different. Social work has the strictest licensure out there, which is what I am um, because we work with the most vulnerable people. And so like, like, for example, and I mean, this was the law being applied as it is written. There was a lady who years back had this big practice mm -hmm. and she was a therapist. She was a social worker. And so she had um, it wasn't even like a support group. It was just like a pre-internet, like come to this coffee shop. We're all recently divorced people that want to socialize Oh, and fly her up on the wall. OK, so a guy goes there, dates her, breaks up with her. Guy's a lawyer, calls the board. You dated a patient board. She's like, I'm working I was in a coffee shop. Nope. Anything you do within the realm of mental health is social work practice for a social worker. You can't oh, turn your license no. off. No. And LPC. Oh, that guy is fucked up. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously that there's, you know, talk that, about this they say is, health half no have no fury like a woman scorned. Also, yeah. health hath no fury like a man denied. Just saying. Yeah, there's certain professions you gotta be careful about. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. So I mean that that obviously he's being manipulative, and I'm not defending any, you know, yeah. the, it letter of the law. Not but the still, spirit of the law, but that's the letter of the social work law. What yeah. BetterHelp does, like, so I can't say I'm a life coach on Tuesdays and I do crystal healing. And on, on Thursdays, I'm a social worker and I do brain spotting. I can't do that. Like uh, an yeah. LPC can do that. They can, they can switch. I cannot turn oh, really? my license off. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. I, I cannot turn my license off in Alabama. That's the, that's the one that I know. Okay. So BetterHelp says you're getting therapy from a real therapist on all their ads. These are real therapists. They have licenses, right? Yeah. You go yeah. through their paperwork and it says this person's not doing therapy. Okay. So you can't hire social workers. The board could say, if you work for this company, you violated your license. You could economically undermine them. You could do that in a second, but we don't use the power that way Oh, because God. better help would sue the board and then the board's in litigation with them. But like, yes, that's your job as a regulatory agency. What a mess. Also scary. Like that's another reason why I'm just so glad that I didn't go go through with that because I just don't think I could handle the anxiety of like, am I saying the wrong thing? Am I doing, do you feel like you're on like a leash, you know, almost sometimes like, 
I guess maybe you get used to what you can and can't say. I am just the person who chronically overshares and like mm. will always say too much or the wrong thing. And so I think it's probably like the universe is pr was protecting me, <laughs> like not finishing that. Well, I mean, maybe I'm stubborn and maybe I'm on the spectrum a little bit too or something. I probably could get that diagnosis if I went in. But it was like the hospital, like when I was leaving, I, I just couldn't do it. And you watch like the intuition get beaten out of these clinicians where uh. it's like you're better off hiring students. But it was like we had a meeting every six months where they were like, Hey guys, we really want you to be honest and we want you to tell you what would improve the system a lot. Can you please do that? Um, and please, you know, be honest and, and, and tell us. And we were overworked. It was like, I need these three hours. Like, I don't want to go to this meeting. And so I would always be like, okay, here's a list of stuff that if you did it, there would be no downside. The potential downside is like maybe a doctor who hasn't worked here in eight years feels a little bit insecure. But the upside is it's cheaper. There's less risk to the patient. There's less burnout. We get, we are more effective. We're more profitable. This is the upside. Yeah. Hey, hey, don't say that thing. Like I, and, and so like after six of these meetings, I was like, uh, I can't. You're like, People my feedback like, hey, is we're to gonna not do have this these meeting meetings. And we're going to tell you that you want you to say something, but please don't say the thing that you always say. And I'm like, no, just don't have the meeting. Like you don't care. You know what I mean? Yes. Like I oh, could I know. not do that. You know, I, I like literally I, I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't do it. It's kind of funny because it's the exact same thing in tech. Like we'd have our, you know, reviews and they're like, please give me feedback as a manager. And it's like, you actually don't want to hear what I have to say. Trust me. Like it's mm -hmm. much better if I say everything is going great because I already know it's not going to be impactful. And the millions of like stand up meetings that you have in tech, like every morning, every, and it's just like the best thing you could do is cut out all of these meetings. Like nobody <laughs> wants to go to meetings and nothing actually gets accomplished during these meetings. I, I, there were all these every meeting written. could be an email. Yeah, all, all these articles were written during COVID where they were like, we have all this data coming out right now that everybody is getting so much more done without mid-level management. Everyone's working from home and they're incredibly more effective. What does this mean for the industry? And it, like, it means nothing because Literally. the ego of the mid-level manager is not going anywhere. And it, no right. one, nothing was done with it. How many times did The Atlantic publish that during the COVID shutdown? Oh, like, yeah. You know? I loved reading those because I'm like, nobody's freaking out except you. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like that a certain archetype of person, the rest of us that were like finally getting to work from home and like, do our work and then maybe do laundry and like maybe run and get our groceries actually instead of having like three hours at night where we had our freedom mm -hmm. we're loving it <laughs> yeah well i mean that's what's so funny to me is these articles that they write about usually tech companies but they they're like it's already it's like dude you won why are you complaining about how you won like you're yeah. you, you run the system you wrote the rules you've changed the expectation of what an employer does mm -hmm. we're not even having the conversation about whether or not you're going to get insurance and stuff anymore everyone's a gig worker you won and they're writing articles being like, yeah, these people do four jobs, um, you know, and, and everything, nothing goes up based on inflation, but we just don't like how they talk about us on Facebook. We don't, we want them to like it more than they do. And it's like, well, why are you complaining that they're also not grateful? Like you got the money, just, just take it and be quiet, you know? And you but, never cared about anyone's feelings anyway. So why do you care now? You know what I mean? Just, it's not feelings. It's the opinion of me. Yeah. It's not yeah, right. That's that's Reality right. is not reflecting my erroneous self-image back to me so i'm that's gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> go on medium like <laughs> write a sad letter in your journal about it that's what i always tell my, myself when i'm when i'm ranting and raving like that just go write in your journal hmm. well um i you're and i i really uh i can't say this to a lot of guests but like you are really so big in all of the stuff that you've done with your history and your career that it's hard to even say well, tell us a little bit about your story because you know, all of those rabbit holes could just go on and on. Yeah. I, mean, I, I really was, I decided to just kind of leave it open-ended, but I really had 
difficulty figuring out how to come up with any kind of structure. I mean, I don't want you to make you repeat what you have a whole bunch about. Um, no, you know, it, but, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, it seems like the theme that we're on is like the the insecurity and ego rigidity under a lot of the nefarious forces in our world. Yeah, I mean, for me, I've I think that now knowing sitting where I am now, I was spent a really long time in a very dark places mentally because I've gone down so many different like career rabbit holes, like, and your listeners can obviously listen to my podcast, but you know, I have um, done beauty school. I went to college. I've done sex work. I worked in fashion. I worked in tech. I, um, you know, I was, um, really, really close to getting a record deal for singing and then it all oh, fell wow. apart because of, um, and at almost every single turn, the theme of my life has been, you know, and I'm recognizing the the purpose of it now, you know, just from mm -hmm. a spiritual perspective, not to mm -hmm. get too like woo woo, but it's just like, I, the theme has always been, um, really predatory men, honestly. Mm -hmm. And I realized that they were everywhere, you know, like that's why I ended up like dabbling a little bit in sex work because I realized like, if I'm just going to get objectified and sexually harassed, like, why don't I just make a, a job and actually yeah, that's what all people's money? Yeah. And uh, because it's just like, even when I was like a straight and narrow, like I'm all, I'm a good worker. I kill it at whatever job mm -hmm. I, do, I do, whatever I've chosen to do. I've been really good at it because I work really hard. And that's how it's always been for me in school. I've never been the person who like aces the test without trying. That's my husband. He's that person. He'll like mm -hmm. not study, whatever, show up and yeah. just like be good because he's naturally just ridiculously intelligent. Didn't go to college because he was like, fuck this, you know, mm -hmm. very creative person and very smart. I worked really hard. I'm a people mm -hmm. pleaser. I wanted to get the A and I barely would get the A, right? Mm -hmm. Like I would kill myself to get the A. And I've been always really addicted to people's opinion of me. So it's mm -hmm. interesting that we're talking about that because I always cared what people thought of me. I was always just dying for validation and approval. Mm. And as soon as um, the the internet was a really dark space because I grew up as a, like I was born in 1989. So I was on the internet as like an 11, 12 year old girl on AOL Instant Messenger, like getting chatted to online mm. by like probably old dudes knowing that I was young. And there was no controls. Like if we think the internet's dangerous now, it was really mm -hmm. dangerous for young people then because mm -hmm. parents had no idea, you know what yeah. I mean, what was going on. And so I got, I fell into patterns of being groomed and sexually mm -hmm. abused by older men from a really young age. And then I think that I adapted to that and realized that I could manipulate kind of men to mm -hmm. a certain extent. Um, and, but at the same time I was getting, abused and victimized so that's a really hard dichotomy to hold you know like i and for the longest time i wouldn't allow myself to i thought other other women were victims of, of sexual abuse not me because i knew what i was doing quote unquote you know mm -hmm. but in reality mm -hmm. i didn't i was just a young girl you know mm -hmm. and i think i was just adapting to my situation and and realizing that this was a way i could get attention and feel seen and there's a lot of shame that comes with that. And then I moved into the working world and I realized it never stops. Mm -hmm. My bosses were sexually harassing me. My bosses were sending me suggestive Skypes and messages. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like there's that feeling that women know very well when it's like you think you're actually finally being seen for who you are and you get that first like over the line Skype from your boss. Yeah. And you're just going like, really? You know, like okay, I guess this is how it's going to be. And now I have to play that part, mm -hmm. you know? And and it's just hard. It was really, really difficult. And it's just, it happened wherever I went. And then finally I got a manager 
in music that I really liked. I was writing all my own music. And then what happened? A meeting at Soho House, he tries to like ask me if I want to get a room with him. He had a wife mm -hmm. and kids. And it was the one time in my life that I said, no, like I'm not doing this. Mm -hmm. And the next day I got dropped by both him and my lawyer. And so it's just like, and it was right after that, that I, you know, just, I had no, I had no mental, like my mental state was so bad. I didn't have the ability like mm -hmm. mentally to get a job job again. And so that's when right. I just started like working like these underground poker parties. One of my friends mm -hmm. was a bottle service girl and I'll say bottle service is like the gateway drug into sex work. Mm -hmm. Really? Like, yeah. I'm not saying that every bottle service girl ends up going into these things, but there's a lot of areas of sex work that people just think that you become a prostitute. That's not it. You can mm -hmm. work like a lot of different ways where you are getting money for being, you know, a companion for the darkest archetype of the male psyche. And yeah. I also, <laughs> I wasn't great at that. I looked at other girls doing it because I, because I was very smart and because I could speak to men, like I, I could make it a really long time without getting intimate with people because they mm -hmm. liked hanging out with me and they liked talking to me. But I realized also, like, I'm probably someone who could get myself killed in this uh, um, industry because yeah. I have a mouth on me, you know, mm -hmm. like, I'm not going to let someone talk to me any kind of way. And mm -hmm. so I, a woman that I knew in one of those poker rooms, she looked at me and she's like, you need to get the fuck out of here. And she's like, mm -hmm. you either need to shut the fuck up or you need to stop doing this work because you're going to get yourself killed. Mm -hmm. And one of these rich guys can make you disappear. So yeah. you need to just think about that. And that made a huge impact on me and I realized she was right. And so just I'm that rabbit hole is to, to mm -hmm. say that I know what it feels like to be in these really dark, dark places. I also know what it feels like to have to shove yourself into like what I call on the podcast, like the hot girl box to try mm -hmm. to like feel like you have worth. Yeah. But now I'm recognizing that all those suffering, all that suffering actually served a purpose and I'm finally doing the work that I know that I was meant to be doing, which is talking about this stuff. Mm -hmm. Nobody's talking about it, no. you know, and there's still no. an epidemic of people, not just women, you know, because yeah. when I worked in fashion, um, the amount of, uh, I worked really closely with some of the male models. Many of these are very young men who mm -hmm. are, who are scouted from third world countries yep. who are sending all the money they make back to mm -hmm. their families. They're living in squalor. And these really, really rich older gay men in fashion are basically giving them money for sexual yeah. favors. And I talked to some of these men and I was like, these boys, and they they laugh about it. They're like, oh yeah, and I'm not even going to get as graphic, but they're doing these things mm -hmm. with these older gay guys. And I'm like, are you gay? Because I was one of the boys that I was kind of dating. I was like mm -hmm. 23 and he was so hot. I mean, male models, that's a whole nother thing. <laughs> but um, I was like, are you gay? And he goes, no. You just kind of have to block it out. Like I get money for it. So, and I'm like, and now I'm going the amount of dissociation, right? That you have to employ to do that. And they, these boys that I met, they were so good at just like not, not even thinking about it, yeah. but we don't talk about that either. It's even scarier as a young man, I think, to like admit to that because if there's, especially some of these boys, they were from countries where homosexuality was seen as like yeah. this horrific thing not a viewpoint i share mm -hmm. but this is happening you know mm -hmm. and it's such a it's such a it's just so prevalent and it's so repressed and so 
talking about this, just the wave of emails mm. and voicemails and comments that I got. It's just like I I just struck a nerve and yeah. people are like, thank you, because I thought I was I thought I was something was wrong with me. I thought I asked for it. I thought that mm -hmm. because I wasn't expressly saying no, and maybe I went out to a fancy dinner with this guy, and then he was really nice to me, and I actually kind of like him too as mm -hmm. a person. It's just, it is so complicated. There's so much ambivalence, and I don't know. I just, and so I know that I went through everything that I went through. It now makes sense because back yeah. then I was just going, why is this happening to me? Like, yeah. is there like a mark on me that says like, <laughs> something that well like, i think when you have that you? really heightened intuition people do sense it you know like you're, yeah. you're not aware of what you're doing and that's why it's so important to make intuition conscious and not an unconscious function because yes it, it's you're making this connection with people that you're not wanting to make yes and i mean the people who have your knowledge on uh, the history of healthcare and psychology are not a lot of people and i, I wish that we did more of that in therapy but even the ones who do I haven't really found anybody, a couple people, but really found many who are willing to be honest about the way wealth and power works and willing to understand it and look it in the eye. And you are, you know? Yeah. Well, you know? and I kind of have had to, you know, because it's like I, because of the spaces that I was in, just the mixture of things that I've done, like it all, like I said, it all makes sense now. The fact that I've worked in tech, I've worked with CEOs who didn't necessarily sexually harass me, but I just saw how they abused their positions yeah. and abused their power. Then I saw how no different they were than to like the Johns that I met in some of these uh, like sexual sex work situations and how people are can like put themselves up on a pedestal, but they're acting no different than just like the lowest of the low. Like, I just think that men that find themselves in those spaces where they're treating women like that. And like, if you're a man who is seeking out sex work and treating women the way that I was being treated, because I do know that's something I really want to make clear. There are sex workers out there that are a very special type of person who are like psychologically integrated and can actually do work that's healing and helping people. But mm -hmm. that is such a tiny fucking fraction. And mm -hmm. the fact that we are, you know, with OnlyFans and saying this is empowering work, mm. it's not fucking empowering unless you are psychologically integrated and very few people are. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, that's why we have to fight against this stuff because you have to be, to have done a lot of inner work to be able to do sex work safely mm -hmm. from a psychological perspective. And we're not talking about that enough. And it makes me feel so sad to to know how like lonely and broken so many women feel. And when I see the profiles of the mm -hmm. girls that follow me on Instagram and I see them, I see them pop up because if someone has a lot of followers, um, they pop up first on your likes. So they call like a priority like. Mm -hmm. So I've got almost like a hundred thousand people on Instagram now. And when when another big account follows me or likes some of my thing, it pops up to the top. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these girls, I know they're sex workers because they'll pop up to the top. They're gorgeous women. Uh, their pictures are edited to where they look like fucking cyborgs. And I understand because I used to do that to my photos. So again, I am not judging anybody. And I had every injection under the sun. I had breast implants that I got removed. I dissolved all my fillers. Like, so it's again, I've, I don't speak about shit that I don't know and I haven't done, mm -hmm. you know? So I, these, these accounts pop up and I click into their profile and I just look at their pictures and my heart just like breaks because I see them. They say, click the link in my bio and I see their mm -hmm. OnlyFans link. And then they message me 
and they're saying, I want to kill myself. I mm. love your podcast. Right. And I'm going like, and then look at the mm. thing they're presenting, you know, this, this image they're presenting and then the message they send to me, such a difference. Mm. And I know that when I had the Instagram with tens of thousands of followers, that's now deleted. Mm. That was for my music where I had my, you know, I was so sexually presenting and all this stuff. I was suicidal, you mm. know, and no one knew. And yeah. It just, it, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this, but it just breaks my heart and it's an epidemic and we're not it talking is. about it enough. And it's the people that like aren't obviously suffering that are suffering the deepest sometimes, you know? And anyone who's doing depth work or trauma therapy sees that, but yeah. you know, we're not really allowed to talk about it or not allowed is the wrong word because you don't want to judge people or scare them yeah. off. Or, I mean, you don't want to talk about your patient's experiences. Of course. But that is so many people's experiences and the world is kind of gaslighting us Yes, that, this, that you're alone with it and you're not. Um, it's just we've taken away every avenue to talk about it and it's easier if you want to you know, not be honest with yourself about the pile of ill-gotten gains you're standing on to call it a personality disorder. That's it's right. easier for a man to do that. It's so Especially much a man who's on the top of a company or the top of a hospital. You know, psychology was invented, you know, this, these founders like did it to speak truth to power. And then now it is, you're not allowed to do that anymore. You know, I know. And ironically, some of the men that you see that are like saying, oh, she's borderline. It's like, these are the same manic pixie dream girls that you're fetishizing and cheating yeah. on your wife with, you know what I mean? So you're not examining your own shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And these men are suffering too. Right. Yeah. So it's like, that's what I've realized is like, you really do like, Marion Woodman is like one of my favorite depth psychologists. Mm -hmm. And she does this whole lecture, which is, I've probably listened to more than anything that I have. And it's like holding the tension of the opposites. Mm -hmm. And I just don't think that we have the capacity to hold the tension of the opposite, mm -hmm. right? We over-identify with one of the opposites. Yes. And the and opposite of truth is not lies, it's certainty. It's yes. not that these things like integrate and then cancel out. It's that you sit with the resonance of these two opposite parts of self that do not want to be in the same head until they reverberate and there's a harmony. Yeah. You know? And someone can be acting like a monster, right? And because when I was at the depth of my suffering, I hurt a lot of people, not physically. Yeah. You know, I can still say that I've never put my hands on anybody in my life, but I have fucked with people's heads. Like I I have sat and shed many tears over like the discord that I've brought into people's lives. You know, there were really good guys that I had in my life that like wanted to have something with me and I've broken them psychologically, right? Like I have, because I was so fucked up in my own mind, like I didn't know what I wanted. I was so like, it was an emotional wrecking ball. Like I would be the girl that would go out with you and then get super drunk and then be like crying on the side of the road at, at 2 AM and, you know, making your friends be really embarrassed of, of like, you'd be like, be like, dude, who the fuck is this girl you're dating? Right? Like I was that girl. Mm. And I just, I was the girl who was saying, like, you know, wanting boyfriends, like being jealous of their friends, you know, like, mm. like being super needy. So, and thankfully, I found a partner finally who is so uh, individuated and so like securely attached that he just wasn't putting up with that and mm. not like in an abusive way. He wouldn't play the games with me. Mm -hmm. He was just saying, I love you, but I'm not doing that. That's your mm -hmm. shit. It's not my shit. And like he had this safe wall where I was like bouncing up against it. Mm. And I was just like, wait, what? Like, so none of my little games are going to work on this guy? Like, fuck. And yeah, so that's because, the Eric Burns stuff. Yeah. But. And because of that, 
I had to look at myself and I had to say, and he said to me, he, one of the most profound things my husband said to me, my now husband, we got married like six months ago, but he was like, you know, I don't want you to be that bitter old person that's just complaining about the same stories forever and ever and ever. And I'm like, oh my God, you're right. Like, I don't want to be that person. And he told me basically that he did not feel safe expressing himself emotionally in our relationship, not because I would hurt him or do anything, but it's because he's like, I just didn't want to deal with like the the spirals that would occur if I even just said like, hey, I'm uncomfortable when you do X. And then I would be able to, because again, I'm very smart. I could like convince myself that I was making sense, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. I, and that is what I think is scary too. And also what's not talked about when you're really smart and you're really empathetic and you're not individuated, you can convince yourself of almost anything and you can make it make sense, especially yeah. to all your friends. So the stories that you tell your friends are like, oh my God, yeah, fuck that guy. Right. And you're getting all these affirmative things and you're like, yeah, I'm right. I'm right. You're kind of unconsciously setting it up to make it look like what you're arriving at is actually scientific by, you know, muddying the water. Yes. Yeah. And and so intelligence and service of the ego is like, I mean, there's some people who, you know, they end up, it's so much harder for them to get help because they're so smart that they're able to double down and make this neurosis like a real and you can mask Logical and be really thing, high yeah. performing at your job at the same time, right? And be so successful on the outside. That's like the first psychiatrist I ever saw. And it's like the famous story on my podcast. And I say famous because I've just said it a lot where I went into this psychiatrist and I'm telling you, I was non-functional. I was not getting out of my bed. I was only dragging my ass out of my bed to go on like my next Tinder date that I had of the day. And like, drinking smoothies because I couldn't even bring myself to, you know, cook for myself. Mm. But I dragged myself into the psychiatrist's office and I was obviously very presentable, like Mm. conventionally attractive, whatever white girl. And he, I told him I had done all my research because I'm neurotic as fuck. And so I was Mm -hmm. like, I know that I have BPD. Like this is what I have. I read all the symptoms. I know I have it. And I had that weird fucked up view of like, if I get a diagnosis, everything will be better. Just, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Which I think is also something that we don't talk about enough. Like I just need to get an autism diagnosis. I just need to get an ADHD. Mm -hmm. I just need to get this BPD diagnosis to affirm that I have this. But then to those people, I say, then what, you know, like, and so I had, I went into that office and I said, here's what I have. I know it. Here's everything that's going on. I was very open with him about like the dysfunction of my life, right? But he couldn't see past my presentation and how much mm. research I had done. And I was telling him how fucked up I was. I was telling mm. him about the sex work. I was telling him about all this stuff. But he goes, trust me, you don't want BPD, yeah. right? BPD is incurable. We're going to treat you for bipolar too, right? Mm-hmm. And, but he goes, you're just, the words he used was just like, you're very high functional. And I was going, I am not. What's your Mm. definition of functional, bro? Because Mm. I'm not functioning. Yeah. But he couldn't see past the veneer of, and I think that that Daniel Mackler is one of my favorite YouTube creators. He's like a very like radical therapist. I think he's Mm -hmm. quit now. I don't know if you've ever watched his stuff. He's amazing. Oh, you would love him. You guys, you'd actually be a great person to have on your podcast. But now he just travels the world. Like I say, he goes to Africa and like, Uh, just kind of backpacks around and he just talks about why he left therapy and all these things. But he did this incredible video all about pretty privilege. And he talked about how like many kind of conventionally attractive women he worked, he worked in spaces like you people, Mm -hmm. he found himself treating 
the untreatable cases. Yeah. He would get referred. They're like, okay, Daniel works with these cases. He gets through. So he got all mm. of the treatment resistant people. Mm -hmm. And he said that, you know, for the longest time, he's like, he worked with these conventionally attractive women. And there's this thing called pretty privilege where it's like, basically, if you are conventionally attractive, like your life is so easy. And mm -hmm. like, you know, and this is also a scary thing because you can't really talk about it because what you say, oh, I'm conventionally attractive. Woe is me. Life is hard, mm -hmm. you know, but he does this beautiful unpacking of it where he just says like these women that fell into this and attractiveness varies in country. You could put me in a, in a country uh, mm -hmm. in the world and they'd say, oh my God, she's hideous because I don't meet the beauty standards of that country, but I'm white. I have blonde hair. I have blue eyes and I'm like a decently attractive person. So in America, because I fit the beauty standard, mm -hmm. I, I am usually, you know, maybe seen as that. But but what happens is, is that my whole life, like ever since I became a teenager, it's just like, I feel like I'm only seen as like, well, first and foremost, now that I'm in my 30s, I don't give a fuck. And so I'm like, <laughs> nobody's like objectifying me now because as soon as someone even tries, they're like, they're like, whoa, don't even try with that one. But when I was a teenager and I really wanted the validation, like, I didn't realize how bad that can fuck you up because you're not seen for yourself, you know. Mm -hmm. You're and I'm being told all the time that what is important to you about you is not what's important about you. And exactly, you and also to... that you somehow can't be suffering because you yeah. somehow have these desirable traits. When in yeah. reality, it's like yes, you can. <laughs> yeah, you can be suffering, and also half the time, it oh, why are you complaining? You know, you're a cisgendered heterosexual white woman like you must have all the privileges in the world when in reality like i was born in a trailer and half my family is from like appalachia right and i am far from having a mm -hmm. lot of like privilege but i know there is an element of that so again i think some people are caught in this feeling of can i even talk about my struggle mm -hmm. because i'm not seen to have enough marks against me to validate my struggle does that mm -hmm. make sense so yeah, it's like, yeah it's very isolating and lonely and confusing and you can really gaslight yourself too right mm -hmm. yeah i i don't know that i've gone pretty far back on your show but i'm not totally caught up with the backlog a lot of what you were saying there's a lot of content reminds so. me of like do you have anything specifically about the relationship between intuition and trauma i've talked a lot about that and what i my my thesis is is that the hugest part of mental suffering is the fact that we're disconnected from our intuition. You know, we're mm -hmm. disconnected yeah. from our gut feelings. And also turn then it, it turns neurotic, right? Yeah. Like that's the thing. It's like the more I speak to spiritual practitioners, some people are very intuitive. Some people mm -hmm. literally are clairvoyant. Some people literally do have these uh, extra kind of like sentient capabilities. But if you are in a trauma world, I just did this three-part series on trauma worlds where I call it like you're stuck in paranoid golem energy. Mm -hmm. It's like if you can have all these amazing intuitive capabilities, but if it's there is a trauma veil over them, mm -hmm. it's like we talked about before, you can make anything make sense. You're delusional yeah. in all of these like natural intuitive faculties. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that, that's what I, I, I've heard you talk about it like tangentially. I just didn't know if there was a oh, an episode. I don't think I've done like a specific about your episode thesis dedicated specifically. to it. Yeah, that was kind of my read of what you'd said, because I always conceptualize that with patients that like intuition is this function that you really cannot turn off. Yes. And a lot of people have the ability to avoid it, but trauma makes you not be able to avoid that relationship yeah, with intuition. Right. And, and but what it does a lot of times is trauma sets off this deeply unconscious intuition. So you're mm -hmm. seeing all of this information that you 
that you're not aware of how you're seeing it and the way that you're using intuition is not a choice. So you're making all these connections with people who you don't really want to connect with. You're reading emotions that you don't want to read. You're getting, you're helping people who you don't want to help, you know, and that so much of the time it's like when you, cause you were saying, um, you know, about 20 minutes ago about the, how all your journey was taking you somewhere. And that was kind of what I was hearing is that, yeah. you know, like the trauma turned the intuition on. You just didn't know what to do with it for a long time. Oh, but yeah. you, you really, when you have that intuition, you could do anything. You could get the record deal. You could do this. I mean, it's this ability to to hear something. And and that's why, you know, a lot of people are like, is this model a cult or not? And I always think yes. that question's really funny because academia is so hostile to these new models. Um, when I got trained with ETT with Stephen Vasquez, he didn't think this was funny at all. But I said, you know, I wish academia wasn't so hostile to stuff like this because, you know, like it makes models of psychotherapy when everyone's like, oh, no, this is the best thing. And like, he's so brilliant and you really need to learn it. And you don't know if it's a cult or not until you go do it, you know, like and yeah. uh, he goes, no, 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 we don't think of it like a cult. We prefer to call it a family. And I said, oh, so oh. you already know your lines. And then he did God. not think it was funny. I bet. Yeah, I'm oh. sure he didn't. Ew, yeah, whenever I mean, anything anyone says they grow a family i got that so much in tech is like we're not this isn't work like we're a family whenever anyone says that yeah, when we want you to do not work not when we're splitting up the profit you know yeah and also work. until you lay me off with no notice and my google account just stops working in one month which has happened to me in tech before that's not yeah. really very family well maybe it is it's a dysfunctional family system i had a friend who worked for a tech startup and he just saw the horrors of the health tech startup world uh, or whatever and there was like basically the company like the the, the owners realized that the this thing that they'd made was i got to be careful to keep this anonymous but yeah they realized the thing that this made that the liability was too much it outweighed any profit the company was ever going to make so they just both they fired themselves from the company yeah. but if anyone came in and said hey guys our company doesn't exist anymore and actually laid off staff that would be involvement and they didn't want involvement at that point so no one knew until they heard like from someone at the country club that their company was gone and all these customers were calling meeting this medical service and no one knew what to say them and no one could get in touch with their boss i mean it's just like i mean the stuff in that sector is so beyond the pale like it got misreported yeah. when they, there was that camp company that was making biological eyes you know what i'm talking about it's like in the news about a year ago i don't i don't know i don't think i saw that it was an implant that stimulated your retina with little electrical impulses so you could see a black and white image if you were blind oh so wow they put these cameras in people's eyes and then it got misreported they said in the news that the company went bankrupt but the firmware on these things had to be updated and the company just quit doing it and people had it implanted in their brain. Oh, and God. there's no regulation about that. So, but they, they said in the, the reporting said that the company had gone bankrupt, but that wasn't true. The company decided there wasn't enough money in it and discontinued the product. And so like, and they They're just left all the people that have these things just in the yeah. shitter. Yeah. Wow. It reminds me of actually, it's interesting, a very similar situation. The breast implants that I had that I got when I lived in London when I was 25 years old, I found out and I was, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard about breast implant illness. It's a real thing and people can get sick from their breast implants on for a variety of different uh, reasons. It can cause like chronic immune uh, stuff. And I experienced debilitating symptoms from my breast implants that I had no idea what um was correlated to them every doctor that i saw never once did they of course they ask you what surgeries did you have and i always said breast implants hmm. never once did they say hey maybe this could be connected to these like huge chunks of silicone in your body um weird right like maybe mm -hmm. that could have a reason 
I got a notice. Um, I think it was like three years on into my breast implants and uh, it was from the FDA. And long story short, they said these textured gummy bear implants, which is what I had, mm -hmm. they were flagged for being causing cancer and they were being recalled. Okay. And can you imagine how it feels to get an email saying that like the things that are in your body and you're mm. a broke ass bitch in LA that cannot afford like anything. Mm. I was already yeah, living they don't, on my The company card. doesn't have to come they don't have to do anything like, yeah. so they don't have to say hey like we're gonna pay for you to get these removed and so like i ended up going to tijuana i shit you not to get my breast mm, implant gosh. out thankfully and, and this is no shade i had some of the best medical care like i did a lot of research i had the most amazing doctor who i cried to him and he was so incredibly mm. supportive and he got me in as soon as possible he got them out and he and i won't name him because it's actually not i don't even think it's legal to but i was so scared with breast implants, it's important that they take they remove the capsule, which is like the mm. scar tissue that also forms around the mm -hmm. implant. And I was so scared when I talked to him. I said, please, please, please remove the capsule. Like, please don't shortcut mm. this surgery. Because I was being very stereotypical. I just thought going to Tijuana, you're going to get a slap job surgery, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but he said he listened to me. I was crying. And when I got out of surgery, he came over at, into me in the recovery room and he said, number one, I wanted to show you something. And he pulls out his phone and he had his nurse record the whole surgery so that I could see. And he held mm. up the capsules and like in front of the camera mm. and said, look, they're gone. Right. And I just mm. like, it makes me emotional now. It just like made me start bawling because I was like, I was so scared to have these things inside of me. And that was like my soft launch into saying, I hate the medical system because yeah. I was never told that there was any risks about breast implants. I was never like when this company did not give a sh these FDA approved yeah. right, implants could be cancer causing. And even even healthy implants, like ones that are still quote unquote FDA approved, mm -hmm. they're causing these women to get really sick. People are speaking out about it, but again, you're not seeing it get covered. Like mm -hmm. it should be getting covered. Women are getting breast implants every single day. People that are transitioning, you know, like, mm -hmm. and some of these people that are um, experiencing like gender transition journeys, um, one of the first things they do to affirm their gender, of course, is to want to get like breast implants, but they don't know about these mm. things. Right. And when you are having the worst debilitating mental health because I don't know what it feels like to experience gender dysphoria. I never went through, but I did know what it feels like to want to completely change my body, right? Mm -hmm. I had no breasts. I wanted them. I wanted all these injections. And I was just putting myself down this permanent medical pathway. Mm -hmm. And the more and more injections, the more surgeries I got, never mind like just the trauma that your body goes through when you're getting put under anesthesia and getting like your, you know, surgeons are not trauma informed you're kind of getting pushed down and all this stuff and so these people that are going through these like transitionary journeys or even women who are just experiencing debilitating mental health symptoms and thinking that breast implants are going to make them feel better they don't realize and that's what when i am actually kind of clicking into place now all these surgeries i went through when i was on this like shoving myself into the hot girl box mm -hmm. journey I was just fucking myself up with more and more trauma, more and more medical intervention. And I was just getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And again, why are we not talking about this? Right? Like, well, you, you, it, I think that that's the point. It's like when you look on the news, they're like, you know, which bathroom can you use? And it was, yeah. which Disney movie is allowed. And it's like, I can't afford American cheese. Can you that's, talk about that? That's can we have right. healthcare? Can we have roads? That's I mean, right. But the game is, to pretend that the conversation is between these two bad ideas so that you don't look at everything that's happening. That's right. And that's not to negate like 
so many of my listeners, again, I've gotten some of the most beautiful messages from my listeners who are experiencing gender dysphoria, who are on like a transition journey. And my heart goes out to these people because again, I always say on the podcast and I think they appreciate that. I don't speak about anything that I don't know about, mm -hmm. you know, because again, I'm not a qualified medical uh, practitioner. I talk about the shit that I know and I know mm -hmm. about suffering. Yeah. But um and I know about what it's been like to try to change my body and all of these things. And I wish every single person that's going through that, like I wish them integration. I wish them finding the best path for themselves. Um but it's it's just painful and I don't think we're talking we're not I just want, I want people to be given all the information about mm -hmm. what the risks are for everything, whether Informed that be consent. for an SSRI, whether that be for a breast implant, whether that be for Botox, whether that be for anything. Like we need to be talking about, okay, yeah, this might quick fix one thing, but even half the time it doesn't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but then what are the long term? Like, you know, like what's, can I ever come off of this? What happens when I come off of this? What happens when I want to, because when you get breast implants, by the way, no, they don't tell you, you need to get these changed every 10 years. And I mm -hmm. thought to myself, do I want to be like a 70 year old woman laying on the fucking operating table, getting my sixth pair of tits put in? Like, no, I don't. But the doctors don't talk about this. Mm -hmm. It's just like, get the money, put them in and we'll deal with the consequences later. Mm -hmm. Put them on the drug, you know, oh, change it, adjust the dose. But what if I don't want to be on this forever? Like what happens when I stop taking it? Oh, I feel like I'm fucking dying because I did. I had to go cold turkey off five different psych meds because I lost my health insurance and I went to the to it can the, be a seizure. I mean, it's it, not it, like you're it's not just that the person has I mean, depression and anxiety are terrible, but there are immediate medical. I mean, you can have a stroke and they don't tell you. Yes. That. No, they don't. And like I you do not know um like a what the fuck moment until you lose your health insurance and then you go to the pharmacy to get your medications refilled and you have previously been paying like four dollars and then they're like oh yeah hey that's gonna be five hundred dollars and i'm like uh what and everything i read said you need to taper off of this but even tapering off sometimes you need to take the pills apart and just do two little granules and i was going what so i just white knuckled that shit. i was mm -hmm. like I'm just going off them all. I went off all, which I do not recommend. I reiterate that to, to listeners, Don't but I that. think mostly practitioners are going to be listening to your, your stuff and they know that. But, and I say that to my listeners too, when I talk about this, do not go off cold Turkey if you can help it, you know, but I did and I survived. So like, because that's another thing that practitioners can't talk about. Sometimes people have to go off these things cold Turkey. I did. I did not have a fucking choice mm -hmm. <laughs> and the doctors don't, like they at least they don't seem to care you know that i'm not saying they don't well, when you don't, don't create time or training it doesn't matter if they care you know yeah. like it's like the the one of the biggest problems i don't know if you had seen any of our stuff about research that i write but like we tied research to um copyrights basically what's patentable which is unscientific yeah maybe <laughs> the, the the ethics of the study or the research of the study is scientific, the system that is using the study is not scientific. Because when you say CBT is the most evidence-based thing, when you do 99% of the research on this one thing, like you're, you're not researching everything equally, you know, there's all these problems. But when you go to countries where they actually have more kind of publicly funded research, like Germany and Switzerland, you might get prescribed an acetylcysteine or something that doesn't have a patent on it. Here, it's just like, okay, 
we got to play with the statin to, you know, the, like we need antidepressants, we need antipsychotics, but we won't develop those because there's all this sunk cost of research. And it's so much easier to just make another statin because it's what the most people, the most people are going to be older white guys that get overweight and sit in front of the TV and watch the Fox News and need a statin. So that's the thing. <laughs> so we have 30 of them for no reason. They're all the same. It's just a sugar molecule with one little rasmer moved. Isn't it? it? It's kind of the same where they like there and you'll probably know it better than me, but I read it in uh, James Davies book sedated where he talked about how there was like one, um, a pill that was marketed to women for like PMDD, you know, mm -hmm. like, and it was literally just an antidepressant with the color turned <laughs> pink and yeah, it was the exact yeah. same fucking medication. Yeah. And, the, some woman found out and like sued and everything or whatever. <laughs> but I'm going like this shit happens all the time and we don't even know. You know, I'm not I mean? a medical doctor. I got to say that. Yeah. And this isn't medical advice. But if you if you do you know what a, a rasmer is in chemistry? No. So like you can have like when you have the little molecule and there's like the dots, right? Like you yeah. can have it be a different shape, but it's still the same molecule because they can bond in like one of five locations or one of six locations. So just because of the way copyright law work, what Prilosec is is they just took the generic and they said it's only the L-shaped Rasmer. <laughs> That's what you're paying for. I mean, it's the L-shaped Rasmer instead of the Y-shaped Rasmer. I mean, <laughs> pharmaceuticals, it, it goes back to I what you were saying. Like it may be another one of the... The incentives uh, are just, that's the problem. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, it, it, top down, from every industry, every industry, tech, Pharma uh, pharmaceuticals, the therapy industry, like psychiatry, all these things, the more that I, and I used to be, it's like you said, not many people know about this stuff. Not people do, not many people do the reading. I was that person just three and a half years ago, four years ago now, maybe in the psychiatrist's office saying like, please give me this diagnosis doctor, like looking up at him, like he was like, you know, God. Yeah. And now doing my own reading, like, I'm just like, fucking you could not pay me to step into a psychiatrist's office like and i'm not saying there aren't incredible psychiatrists out there because i follow them like my twitter is like i only use twitter to follow like mental health professionals that i really like and a lot of them are psychiatrists and many of them are like again fighting within this failed like fucked up model and they really are more into kind of these like spiritual depth psychological mm -hmm. rabbit holes but you couldn't again it's like it's very rare. So it's like, you couldn't pay me to go. If I'm suffering, the last place you're going to find me is in the office of a fucking psychiatrist because the, the, the I've went to four and I'll tell you all of them were just like that. Okay. Let's put you on this. Oh, you're still feeling bad. Let's put you on another one. Let's up your dose. That was mm. it. Like there was no, nothing outside those three talking points medication. Oh, it must be the wrong medication or, Oh, it must be the wrong dose. Mm -hmm. That was it. That was the only talking point well, I got. They're not, it's, it's what's weird to me is that the system didn't update when we blew it up in the 80s. It's based on these assumptions that don't work anymore. So psychiatrists used to, one, be in therapy as patients and yep. to do therapy. They don't That's anymore. That's why I love Jungian you see somebody you doing have to be therapy, in analysis. Well, if you see somebody like doing therapy as a psychiatrist now, they have to be an influencer because that's the revenue stream. Like you take all this money out to go to college and medicine is, they don't like psychology anyway. Hospitals don't want to cure. They want to treat cancer, but not cure it. And they want to deliver babies because that's what's profitable. If you see a billboard, that's what's going to be on it. They don't really like psychology because there's no service. They're like, wait, yeah. where's the procedure? This is procedure-based healthcare. You're just talking. I don't get it. So what you have to do is they have to see you for t 10 minutes. 
and then you bill uh, $500 yeah. for that 10 minute, that's the service. They don't do therapy anymore, but for some reason they get to tell me what to do. You know, like I had somebody tell me that brand, the, something that I was doing wasn't evidence-based and it was just like, you work for a mid-sized health insurance company that has five employees. Basically, it's just like a tax scam where you whatever. Like you exposed records to me in a way that was not traditional. Like you had somebody without a medical license writing me about a patient's records, which isn't legal, all this. No, I'm not in network with them. I left the network, but it's like, if I'm a nurse, a nurse gets to tell me what to do. If I'm an engineer, a, an engineer gets to tell me what to do. If I'm a therapist, a therapist should tell me what to do. Yeah, that's not right. Not somebody that doesn't do this. That's so true. Why am I being managed by somebody who doesn't know what I do and has never done it? It's, I just, again, my heart goes out to, and it makes me feel happy because I, I have never to this day received an email from a therapist, psychiatrist, or anyone that says like, fuck you, what you're doing is damaging my profession. You know what I yeah. mean? And I, I have to admit, I've always been a little bit nervous of that. Like, because the last thing that I ever want is I don't want to invalidate what people are doing or make them feel like one profession is all bad. And I try mm. so hard to, in every episode I say that I'm like, I'm not saying medication's bad. I'm not saying psychiatrists are bad and mm -hmm. I'm not saying therapists are bad. Mm -hmm. I'm saying the bio, we say we have like a biopsychosocial model bullshit. <laughs> we have a biomedical model and also we need a biopsychosocial spiritual model and yeah. we need to actually have that, you know, like well, we need it's, to it's actually have it and the bio is important you're moving things around so that you don't have to indict the environment because then you have to say things like poverty and healthcare and insurance and corporations and you can't so everything is moved around to make sure that they're like i mean the, all, the one of the reasons why the dsm-5 was such a move in the bad direction even from where the dsm-4tr was was they were trying to they thought that the you know the brain mind problem as we moved further with the human genome they were going to find the germ that caused these things or the gene that caused these things that it was they were going to be able to somehow say this is why you're doing that and it doesn't yeah. have anything to do with how the world you inhabit and interact with and, and again nobody wants to fix it it's just the same I, I just quit my tech job and guess what i was not the most popular i made my way up to director level but it was a very small company but i'll tell you i was a rock in the shoe of yeah. my c levels For because i would say i would say look and I would do the annoying thing. Like I would go through all the data and make these amazing spreadsheets and show how like the product sucks. The fucking usage is low. Like we need to fix this. Do not turn around mm -hmm. and tell me to tell my team to do a better fucking job when your product sucks. Yeah. And like, I wouldn't do it. And, but the thing is, is that that's it. It's going on all over the place. It's like you, you know, like you have these meetings where it says, we want your feedback therapist. It's like, no, you don't want our feedback. We're out here on the ground working with these people that are suffering and we know exactly what we could change to make this better. But the problem is you don't want to. And it's the same thing with people at jobs, right? Like, and yeah. there are all of us out there, the kind of people that actually shout out about it, mm -hmm. that shout out about the dysfunction in these toxic systems. Right, our toxic I, family. I heard the supervisor turn beet red when I told him he was barking in a mirror. I was oh, like, <laughs> and look, should we change our delivery? That's what I was told all the time. Like your delivery, you know, you could change your delivery. I'm like, you know what? I'm fucking tired. I'm presenting you information that yeah. you asked for. And also, I think you prob. I'm tired. I don't have. I'm exhausted. I'm tired of sugarcoating things. Let's just talk. Do you want to actually just hear the truth? Because I don't know about you. I like hearing the truth. Yeah. Like. Do I get triggered sometimes? Yeah, but I would 10 times rather someone just tell me exactly how it is rather than, because I can sense when someone's bullshitting me. I mm -hmm. respect the hell out of people that don't bullshit me. 
And so I never could relate to these these power figures that just want to hear this sugar-coated truth because the CEOs, eventually you're going to have to pay the price for this shitty product, right? Because mm -hmm. your company is going to go under. You're not going to be able to get VC funding. Short -term. That's, it's short-term thinking. The yeah, goal is what we ask you to do, make this study work. Right. And it's the same thing we're seeing in uh, you know, medicine now. We're seeing lots of lawsuits happening. Mm -hmm. We're seeing lots of all of these things happening. And it's because everybody just thought, oh, whatever, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to speak out against this because of all mm -hmm. this ideological capture that's going on. Well, Guess what's going to make the change? It's a fraternity People's doing too. the shit out of these companies. Money yeah. will talk eventually. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the, the this stuff is so terrifying that as the problem gets bigger, less and less people are going to have the bravery to see it. And it's so yeah. much easier to believe a conspiracy theory and be like, no, this one guy or this one group is doing all of it. Or uh, well, if we just did this, then it would fix all of it. It's like, no, this isn't going to be fixed like that. And no. I think one other when we started Taproot, every, a lot of it, when we started Taproot, we when I was planning it with Bree, who's my business partner, like we were like, this needs to be an Apple store meets a wizard's lounge design wise. Like, oh it, needs God, to stay, it needs to be like Gandalf is living in the Apple store because we have to say like we're going back to the 70s and doing graph psychology, but we're also doing cutting edge neuroscience for trauma. Oh, and, that's great. And so, like, I also and everyone was like, also. you can't do this. There's this weird spacey vibe. And I was like, no, th it's going to be the 70s again. Like, that's where we're going back to. It's that level of disillusionment. And then yeah. after COVID, everybody my age, like, had an astrologer. <laughs> People were, you know, like, that's and, right. And because what happens is, like, because you see it with, like, some of the conspiracy movements going on now is, like, what happens is like people want their ego to be reflected by their government or their empire. So like when yeah. the Roman, I mean, the peasants eating the same gruel, but when the guy is getting paraded through the street of Rome and they're like, yeah, this is a gall. We went and captured it from you. This is an elephant. You're like, yeah, it's doing my thing. I like it. And then the empire starts to fall apart. And all of a sudden you, you're what happens is that it, it doesn't like, I'm not getting what I want anymore. So I don't have this external power. I have to go inward. And when I go inward, I build this esoteric power. Okay. Mm. Now 70% of your population believes in magic. That's what happens. You can't, you can't change it. You can't stop it. So yeah. when you want to say these are your two options and they're both terrible and right or left, everybody doesn't think that the government reflects their interests anymore. You're going to get essentially schizophrenia as yeah. a religion. <laughs> Like, because schizophrenia as a religion that's a great uh title for a podcast episode that's I mean, really good th there's nothing that is filtering these archetypes for you like if you're going in the catholic church at least they're being like oh that the messianic impulse this is what it looks like yeah that good mother this is what it looks like yeah. Yeah. this is the emissary that is connecting you between god and the shame this is the ritual for shame and guilt so mm -hmm. that you're not psychotic and there's this buffer when you just turn all of that stuff on I mean, things break, which is what's happening. I mean, it's system overload, right? And also, I think what we're seeing too now, and and again, that is a need that my podcast has stepped in and filled. But ironically, I didn't even know it is like my own journey on my podcast was kind of my like, I realized how spiritually starved I was because I was mm. super agnostic. I rejected anything spiritual because I had just seen how like hypocritical it all was. Mm. And then I also was super turned off by like new age stuff. And so mm. I was just going like, but then I found up psychology. Then I found like mysticism, mythology and archetypes mm. and all these things. And I thought, okay, here's a framework that I can actually use. And also Which is using the same language stolen from you by versa. That's right. And, and the, that's the way right. you tell if it's a cult or not is you say, is this person saying I invented it? I invented it that's or the yes. intuition is a radio and I'm just picking up on this perennial philosophy and I'm pushing you towards the door yeah. or no, I did it. And here's my seven points. I, 
I am an instrument of this mm -hmm. information, right? Yes. Like, and yes. also what I say over and over on my podcast to people is like, I think that's also part of the success of it is because I do not position myself as somebody who has it all figured out, right? Like, I'm mm -hmm. like, I'm still messy and complicated and I, I will always be, I, right? I, mean, I know that, you know, things that don't work, don't work. And I'm willing yeah. to say that, but I, I'm not pretending that I... If but you, I don't think anybody here, so. can really function at the highest level and achieve like individuation if they don't have some kind of connection like to a like, um, let me try to put this in a way that is actually right is like to like this collective fabric that we're all part of right mm -hmm. like, and however the fuck you want to like make that make sense there's mm. thousands of ways like mm. just look all over the world you know it just so happens to me that i love western esotericism i mm. really i still like you can't put me in a catholic church and me not be like in love because i just mm. i think that i am so drawn to like gothic cathedrals like mm. do i want to like go fucking attend a, ser a service there no but mm -hmm. I want to sit in there and look and be just yeah. completely like uh, awestruck by the the images and the the, the stained glass. And all Jung that. said exactly, almost exactly that same. You know that quote where he no. said, the Catholic <laughs> Church is this beautiful thing, and I can't. I'm just so moved by the beauty, and I think even if it has to live in a museum, it should still be around forever, even if it's just a museum or something. Look what just happened right there. Yeah. I actually didn't know that. I said it, but someone would say, you stole that from Jung, right? Yeah, yeah. That's exactly what we're talking about. It's like, this is a universal feeling. Like, mm -hmm. I have friends who are a really close friend of mine who is Muslim, and she was raised that from uh, from a young age. And she's also like a fellow mysticism lover. Mm -hmm. And she like wants to go on a trip with me to go see all of these. Like, my biggest dream is to go on like a pilgrimage, like into like some of these different places in Europe where the Black Madonna is, because I mm -hmm. really love yeah. like this like dark feminine archetype. And I and again, she's like obsessed with it, but she knows that like there's something cosmic and universal about this archetype mm -hmm. and you can get just as much from it as someone who is like um native american or muslim mm -hmm. or sufi you know like mm -hmm. i could just name every single religion and you would find something in it because you understand that this is like universal and so mm -hmm. i i don't like to make a lot of like very stark claims like this but i truly believe that you can't just be a um, I think therefore I am Newtonian, like materialist person and get the full human experience and like well, be completely. That's the Edward Ettinger stuff, you know, like he's Edward Ettinger, I think is like one of the rare places where he puts Jung better than Jung puts himself. Like Jung's okay. trying to describe it, but he, he doesn't really. Well, cause Jung was under. on a manic exploration. Yeah. Yeah. He, psyche. I don't he, even think half just, the stuff he wrote, he didn't even want people to fucking read. Well, and then some of the stuff he did write that the family didn't want. Uh, yeah, there's exactly. there's a there's a coffin in um Bollingen that has uh, a bunch of the chapters from his autobiography about Tony Wolf that they removed. No shit. But, yeah, there's there's so the well uh, yeah anyway like but Ender saying like that there's existentialism there's this objective part of the brain and like from its perspective we're a bubble on a tide of empire and nothing means anything and nihilism and we're only what we see touch taste and feel and that's what's real and then there's this you know that's a very ego front of the brain prefrontal cortex thing and yeah. then there's this subjective where trauma comes from but also intuition base of the brain mystical sense of like i all is one and i'm connected and maybe we're yes. all just like parts of god you know this is duncan trussell right you know like you know, I maybe, love duncan like, trussell. You know like you know so like he i love him yeah 
he's so a he, mystic. He's a modern mystic. Yeah, and so he like he says they fight and they don't want to be in the same head. Like what you're yeah. saying is that from that materialist perspective, if you don't learn to hold both of these, you're leaving one unconscious and it will be misappropriated. And so and that's it will, where it will make you its bitch. Well, it's that's like why, like, you know, you have Ayn Rand school people that are essentially talking about the uh, an economic system like it is a religion. Like if yeah. we just got rid of the regulation, it would Wait, become this great, wonderful thing. Something. And like, then people who are literalizing religion and turning it into like rules right. and a country that's club. Right. You know, and Someone it's like, no, the you're using day, the wrong part of the brain for the wrong thing. I read something the other day that basically said, like, people that don't have religion, they will make something their religion, right? Mm -hmm. And it's exactly what you're saying, where it's like, if we don't have religion, I'm going to make, like, social justice my religion, or yeah. I'm going to make, right, like, my my psychiatric label my religion. And yeah. you're actually acting ra like a radical fundamentalist, mm -hmm. uh, Baptist, maybe, like, Christian, who you would hate, right? Yeah, this person yeah. that identify as a super leftist and you are being just as like fanatically religious and you can't see it and that's the problem because you're unconscious and your mm -hmm. unconscious is making you its little bitch <laughs> yeah and i mean and that's like that's with political projection like it's like half the people who come in that are extremely you know unhealthy you know, intuitions unconscious and they're right wing what's happened is like i was raised don't cry or i'll give you something to cry about i despise my, oh my own capacity for vulnerability so i'm going to attack it externally yeah. so anytime somebody so it's an emotional reaction it's not logical anyone yeah. says oh this group of people's gay or poor or black or whatever you're like no, no they deserve that the free market or god said that or what, whatever the reason is you know we're bombing 13 countries that you can't name right now like no that's for freedom that's you know it's not a foreign policy thing it's an emotional reaction to anytime someone is hurting i'm on the side of the person hurting them because they're right the lefty yeah. thing is that if you say i am the victim i can't change you know like everything nothing that happens to me is my fault because like i can't change so these people can't change either then what happens is anytime buddy says you know maybe this group of people could do something or here's something and they could no 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 they're totally different and you can't you can't do that that's that's sexist racism or whatever you know and but they're getting in the way of something that might actually be effective to yeah. defend something that they wish was true emotionally and you know as you watch like i don't talk about politics and therapy people come in and um i hold a pointer you know we're doing brain spotting and they yeah. just start telling me that their political beliefs are different in a week because wow. they're not running from this thing anymore and brain spotting works really fast i mean therapy does that anyway depth psychology will take this you into this place until the ego starts to become more porous and it's less rigid mm -hmm. and you see that happen anyway i mean i did a lot of therapy before that happened to me spot. by taking mushrooms yeah but again you know the mushrooms are a non-specific amplifier so like yeah. if you're gonna you, oh you and i will say i will say having had a really bad trip off of something that was laced with something when i was a teenager mm. having i have actual experiences from being I did not take even a tiptoe into mushrooms. And by the way, this mm. is like microdosing, like really setting the stage, like setting and what do they say? Like set and setting where I have Zaz in the other room telling <laughs> him I'm about to do it. I'm in here with candles lit, lit and like reading my middle mystical books and like upping the dose as I go and like experiencing little moments of like, baby unit of consciousness right like mm -hmm. teeny little moments of like maybe what you guys call like samadhi or something very like connected moments mm -hmm. and but having the experience of having done them before i processed any of my own shit, right mm -hmm. i was being chased by like murderers and hearing voices and like mm -hmm. it was the worst night of my life i actually never touched a substance after that i thought i was just smoking weed and i'm pretty sure it was like sprayed with something mm -hmm. or something was fucked up it was in wyoming mm -hmm. and um worst night of my life like i was hallucinating and i woke up and told my best friend everything i experienced and she goes 
none of that happened. Like, bitch, are you okay? <laughs> and I was like, whoa. Uh, mm. So I was having some really dark, dark experiences, but it just goes to show like, you know, the set and setting, but mm -hmm. I don't think people talk about, it's not just set and setting. It's like, have you also done any of your emotional work? You know, yeah. because yeah. you, you, again, you could, I'm a highly, I realize I'm a highly intuitive person. I do have these like heightened sensitive capacities, but back before I had done any of this work, they were going to take me to some really dark places, yeah, you know? Uh, sure. And now with my experiments with like, I haven't, I, my dream is to like do brain spotting and stuff like that. I would love to. You're in Austin. Have you ever encountered ETT? Cause that's like well, the place where it's everywhere. I finally have insurance now. <laughs> okay. So, A lot of those guys don't take it either, which is. But that kills me because right now like i don't know if i can i can't afford it in my budget mm. right now i would love to maybe i can like pull like an influencer i've never done that but be like hey if i mm. interview on my podcast could you do free brain spotting for me is that well, even ethical can i ask that so you're a good you, person to ask because i've actually never even the, the issue that, that you get before. into a lot of therapists break this law but it is a law like is mm. rate changing you're a medical service provider so you can't be like i like you 20 bucks i like i don't like you 200 it isn't, that, isn't that sliding scale well the, the sliding scale is saying that it is being uh all, the, the sliding scale is written right it's saying uh -huh. that this is being done consistently for everyone you can't just oh. pick the rate you, you have to say hey you're a mental health podcaster and i want to advertise because yeah, sometimes you want to waive your fee to do pro bono stuff but really like you can get in a lot of trouble because somebody okay. could say well he she's he saw him for free so that's not i should just budget it out because i'd really love to try it and i know you said like this is a great place to well, do as it a, so. as an influencer i mean what we could do is like if you came to birmingham or if i was in austin for something like that a lot of the ett stuff so big it's hard to move it like i, I it was a nightmare to try and fly with all that stuff but um like i i could just say this is an information series and we could film like a youtube anything that you want to promote if people really want to follow you on instagram they really you've got two shows that they you go ahead and add it to your phone right now while your podcast app is out and you're listening to this add back yeah. from the borderline and add night night bitch um, <laughs> which night night bitch is like esoteric uh you know kind of uh, a time story philosophy anthropology but it's yeah. done not quite asmr but it's done as like a go to sleep while you're listening to something interesting yeah uh, and then back from the borderline is a lot more of what we've been talking about here um yeah. but anything else that you want to promote i mean we could just you can you can i mean if people direction. go if people go to back from the borderline.com i even have night night bitch attached to that too so it's like mm -hmm. back from the borderline.com will take you to everything that you need if you want to dive into any of my work it'll take you to the podcast i also write a lot on substack so if you're the kind of person you're listening to a podcast now so clearly you like podcasts <laughs> um but i write a lot on substack and i i don't just like recycle content from my podcast i write completely unique stuff on my podcast uh my Substack, so you can subscribe to that for free and yeah with my podcast a lot of people are like where do i start you can start from the beginning like if you want to start from the beginning you'll definitely have a journey because you'll start with the, the molly that is like kind of just getting red pilled into critical psychology <laughs> and then like you'll see how much i've changed you know but the podcast is you can start wherever you want to um i put out um three episodes a week basically but two of them are pretty much for only my um premium subscribers i have patreon and yeah that's pretty much the plug
that's that's about it. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us. I mean, again, you have so much knowledge and so much diligence and like really vetting your own ideas and making sure uh, that you have like a cohesive understanding of it. It's like you could go in any direction and we kind of did a, a sampling of it, but it's been yeah. a joy talking to you and I really appreciate the work that you're doing. I'm so glad that there's someone out there um, who's able to uh, help, you know, well, help people. We, this world needs a lot of help. I agreed and I feel the same about what you're doing too. So thank you to your listeners for, for listening to my story and um, I'd love to come back anytime. Well, we would love to have you again. We'll have awesome. to do a, maybe a more specialty topic would give us like a, uh, uh, you know, we could do a I love a rabbit hole. So that's what this was. I was, obs I love that framework. So anytime, anytime. <laughs> we will hopefully see you very soon. Ghosts are only time machines Just as afraid of you as you are As you are The sex lives of saints and invisible men